Hello and welcome to the Free Speech Union podcast. This week, uh, I guess you could say we're running a bit of a student takeover, as they call it, to discuss free speech in the student context. Uh, So yeah, the Free Speech Union does a lot of work around universities, and that has meant a lot of engagement with academics, lecturers, uh, university staff. But of course, free speech uh, on campus is just as big for the students as well. We study, we research too, we're dang the like majority of the people there and stuff um so today i am here with tommy and robbie to discuss yeah free speech and what it means for students so to introduce myself my name is adam i study at victoria university doing law history and public policy and i'm one of the team here at the free speech union uh it's a huge privilege to be able to i guess of yeah be behind the scenes a bit with the work that we do um but yeah, today I get to, I guess I get to be a bit more front facing, which is a lot of fun. And would you guys like to introduce yourself? Yeah. Um, hello, I'm Robbie. I'm a second year student at um, Otago University and I study a double major in maths and philosophy and then a minor in physics on the side. But um, I think today my philosophy will be the most relevant. So we'll just focus on that. And I'm Tommy. I am also a second year student at Otago. I study law and philosophy, politics, and economics. So everything I really do has um, some involvement with freedom of speech. Yeah, it's pretty good. Eh? I guess you sort of, I mean, e- economics? Like, is it, how do, you ha- how do you see free speech being part of economics? Okay, economics isn't so intrinsically linked with freedom of speech, but I guess in the end, the uh, economics is to do with the free market. And to have a really free market, your information of what is in that market needs to be as unregulated as possible. And that comes down to freedom of speech. So that's how I'd link it. But it's obviously not as close as the other the other three. Yeah, sorry. I know it's, <laughs> like it's, it's right at this, like we just started recording and like I'm jumping onto you sort of like, oh. <laughs> um, but that's quite cool. Yeah, so thinking along those lines of stuff, then just while I've got hopefully got your brain juices flowing a bit, um, I'd love to ask, like, what does free speech mean for you guys? Uh, I guess yourself, you know, someone who's in law and someone who's uh, done a bit of philosophy. Robbie, do you mind if I start? Yeah, go for it. Um, we were having a bit of a chat actually right before we started this podcast, and I think the thought is fresh in my mind, and that is, for me, free speech is it, it shows a value of every individual's in society's autonomy and. It respects their dignity in the way it allows each person to voice their own truth. And then in having as little restriction on that possible, everyone's ideas get to enter the so-called marketplace of ideas. And it's only, I believe, by allowing everyone and the most um, open access to all those ideas um, and allowing everyone to discuss them that the best ideas can come out and we get to rationally build off one idea to another idea to another idea and get as close as we can to truth or progress or however you want to put it. And I think for me personally, as a young university student, I want to ensure I emerge into a world where that whole process is still protected 
and it's not being censored out of fear um, and almost a paradoxical intolerance. So that's what it means to me in kind of a grand perspective, and I'll let Robbie speak now. Yeah, I think mine is very similar to Tommy as well. Um, as kind of doing philosophy, my focus and why it's important to me is very much in a more academic sphere. Um, and as Tommy said, it's that building on ideas. It's allowing all opinions to be laid out on the table. And I think that's the only way we can really progress and get somewhere towards truth. Um, I think in philosophy, you see more and more that truth is so kind of hard to get to and so opinionated itself. And so if we are going to limit what opinions we allow to hear, it's only going to get us further away. Um, and I think it's it's kind of very obvious in things like maths or physics that you need all opinions to be expressed and contrast everything. Um, but I do worry that it starts to get lost in things like philosophy where it's about ethics. It's about postmodernism and these, um, these topics that are very, can be more controversial and more closely related to cultural aspects and just not letting that influence the academic freedom um, and hindering those subjects, especially as I move into them. Yeah, definitely. Like I've, I found actually like the, the high, like the whole idea of truth as well that you bring up. So, you know, so the search for truth, the, 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 the search for the correct, and especially like in the light of, you know, how often the idea of, misinformation and disinformation is uh as like a free speech issue you're always hearing about uh yeah it's like on the news and stuff so uh trying to stamp out misinformation and uh and it's often like it's used as a it's like a justification for uh, it's like yeah it's like stamping Mm. out misinformation the search for truth is often given as justification for censorship and yet um we'd very much say that actually well if you want to look for truth you need to be able to yeah to test these ideas and stuff and Hmm. yeah and i guess sort of like for me free speech is it's like you think of it like the positive and the negative like on the positive like the positive sense there is a genuine benefit to having everyone be able to freely discuss ideas in the search for truth um and so like an economics thing as well is i remember reading um a biography of a Iranian refugee and they went to America and they were like shocked by the free speech and they like by the freedom of speech they had compared to their home country and just the ability they, they for them they thought the ability to freely share ideas meant that people could take initiative you know they could um go out and fix a problem that they thought was there themselves and so they really thought like that was like such a, a key thing. And I guess it's really like, a, I know I'm sure lots of people can think that some, yeah, can really, really see that. And of course there's also the negative side of it as well. Of just anyone that has an opinion, someone probably disagrees with them. And so in a world where like we're, we can agree to disagree, it's quite important. Um, even it's like the idea of tolerance as well. It's like Tommy, I think you mentioned sort of the, I think you uh, noticed something like a, the paradox of, intolerance i think and hopefully we can sort of talk about that a bit later because um something that sort of comes up with us a bit but yeah with those ideas of sort of you know these broad ideas of free speech coming out um the the reason we're able to uh record this and to 
uh, talk about these things is, Tommy, because you were at a event of ours recently at Otago University. Um, and then you're able to, from there, you're able to write, well, you, yeah, you wrote a, uh, an opinion piece for us, um, that got, uh, talking about the event. So I'd be interested in what could you be able to tell me, could you tell me about just your experience with that event and your thoughts, um, yeah, so like what sort of reflections on the idea of free speech you got from there? Sure. Um, I saw the event first on a Facebook ad, and I was actually um, going to go with Robbie, but he had other stuff on <laughs> that evening. Um, I would have to say my first experience, my first, I guess the first thing that hit me when I walked through the door was how old the crowd was and it was one of the most interesting experiences i've had this year because it was clear that oh, that's a good thing jonathan who was <laughs> no it was clear for, that jonathan who was um the um facilitating the event was trying to bring up a discussion a legitimate discussion amongst competing perspectives on the values and the limits and almost to try and find the extent of freedom of speech and how kind of try and reach some agreement of what we, how we value it in um, society in Aotearoa today in New Zealand. And I guess it was almost a case in point, like a test case of where freedom of speech should extend to, because a lot of the people in the crowd ended up using the event as a platform to just spout abuse at it was particularly aimed at um the national mp michael woodhouse yeah um dang and now he rightly said they have a right to say that and he was defending their ability to abuse him which ended up being quite funny but (laughs) it's it it was there, there was that kind of on one aspect and the other aspect was the complete absence of anyone with a more modern left-wing perspective um i'm not talking about like the old-fashioned chris trotter-esque mm. 1950s 60s like class left it's more about the identity left that no no one turned no one was there and it just ended up being i i guess what i wrote in my um opinion piece was it was a very interesting experience, but I felt like we missed out on the full um, contest almost because the left had chose to censor themselves away from the event and just stopped preventing, um, um, not preventing, stopped giving their opinions towards it. It was just a whole, the experience as a whole was a sign of the times. I think. Yeah, because like, it was definitely sort of genuinely disappointing that like there wasn't the quite the range of views on the panel as we were hoping. Of course, like you had you like a bit minor range, I guess, between national and act and stuff. But even then, it's mm-hmm. still you know from right to further right. Um, but I guess yeah, and it says I think you're like you raise a really good point as well about the idea of you know sort of the 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 left wing of old and sort of like the modern left. Um, and just sort of views on speech and sort of, you know, views on, yeah, like the idea of like the idea of platforming, you know, the, there's, there's, there's a seemingly this idea that oh, if we just ignore it, it'll go away. Um, and yeah, so it's like, yeah, you're very much right. It's the idea of like it's emblematic sign of the times sort of a thing. 
Um, cause it does like, as I think Jonathan himself noted that it was a sort of a message in itself, but, and also I think especially your point to around like, like people heckling as well. It's like kind of, it's a bit, it's a bit of a pity as well. Cause it shows that like, um, I imagine like would, the, what, what would you say was the ideological positions, if I can ask of the, the people who were doing the heckling? I, I would say that the ideological position is probably quite far on the right, but I think the main root cause of their heckling was anger at not being heard and not being allowed to speak in the first place. Having a continued two to three years where they've been suppressed as people, as conspiracy theorists, people who spout disinformation and given no, no one's valued their, anything they've said instead Hmm. of, instead of, taking what they've said and kind of giving a rational counter to it. People have just tried to suppress their points of view. And over time, you apply that to a large, a relatively large, you say, let's apply that to 5% of the population. You just become more embeddedly angry at the entire system Mm. and get driven further and further away from what people in the middle would call reasonable. Yeah. It sort of shows that sort of, because you got the impression they're kind of heckling to sort of, were they trying to shut down the speech of the people on the panel? The context that came up in a lot of the time was vaccines and vaccine, mm. uh, the whole rigmarole. Mandates and stuff. Mandates yeah. and everything. And it was Michael Woodhouse defending the National Party's decision not to speak to the protesters. And mm. um, he kind of gave a lot of reasons to that. And then they just started shouting obscenities at him it wasn't really that reasoned um Mm. it was quite aggressive and confrontational but again bearing in mind perhaps what they felt like they've been through if you put yourself in their shoes you can kind of start to understand why that i'm not i'm not saying it was acceptable but i would yeah i would like if my child was doing that one day in the future at an event i would you know (laughs) yeah but I think the thing is, Tommy, I remember you coming back and saying um, that you would have been scared to be a more left politician or even just person in the audience. You would have been scared to go to that rally. Um, And I think that's sad when that level of um, lack of freedom of speech that drives people to that kind of anger, it it isolates both sides. It's Mm. We've already got the more, I'm just going to call them the more right-wing people not being not feeling like they're being heard but there's that anger causes the left wings also not to be heard either way and you just get more and more isolation i think that's mm. yeah it's and further i don't think it's in anyone's best interest to start pointing fingers at who originally is the root cause of this now i have my own suspicions um <laughs> And they point towards a lot of postmodernist theory and critical race theory and all these ideas, but let's let's not go into that now. And <laughs> let's just, yep. for the present, say as soon as those two groups start pointing the finger at each other, it doesn't really help. <laughs> a great example of that is looking to the US, for example, where uh, I think like a lot of the a lot of the news I hear about. Uh, it's like suppression of speech comes out of like Republican states, sort of Utah banning, uh, I think like, or like various Republican states banning cri- like the teaching of critical race theory and LGBT stuff in schools. Um, 
yeah, like, you know, Florida's don't say gay bill. And so it's mm. funny. Yeah. The idea of like how free speech often comes across as like, it's like, it's a, seems like a left versus right thing, but it's, in my opinion, it's really not. Um, so I guess sort of, yeah, it's like, I'm hope, hopefully in future events like that, we like, hopefully through our work, uh, through the free speech unions work, um, that can sort of that bipartisan, that bipartisanship can be built. But mm. yeah. Just another thing on the event. Um, the student magazine we have here at Otago, The Critic, their next edition, the editorial, um, which they wrote, talked specifically about the event. And I haven't done much thought on it because I was actually reading it um, this afternoon. And their take, whoever wrote the piece, um, said that it's they, they said it was the fault of the organizers for not being able to characterize their audience and understand what their audience would do as to why all the heckling took place and no discussion occurred. And was that the one that compared it to like Woodstock 99? Yes. Yeah, I know it's, I, yeah, that was a, it's a tough one. Um, it's a really, it was an interesting, some interesting sort of, thoughts that they had on the event if i recall correctly so the the premise of it was the idea that these events had they attract a certain crowd um mm-hmm. and so they say like you're trying like we're trying to be like say like they say the free speech union tries to be bipartisan but it keeps like when these events attract these certain kind of things you know they, it kind of raises questions on does it reflect on the free speech union itself? And I thought it was interesting. And I think, yeah, student magazines are a important bastion of free speech as I hopefully we'll touch on later. Um, But I feel like it's also not super fair because the, the funny thing we have with like your free speech union is a lot of our support, like the people who care about free speech tend to be the ones who get their, opinion suppressed um so like yeah we have a lot of you know and our anti-mandate people anti-vaccine people um we you know gender critical groups you think sort of are like speak up for women who we've helped with in like legal cases uh religious groups as well and so yeah it might end up that like the people who we end up at events can be from a colorful ideological position, but we'd like to think that it doesn't like, yeah, we like to think that it's, yeah, it's not a, it's not a thing of um, who we are as an organization. It's more of a sign of the times, you know, but I, yeah, think I would tend to agree. It really reflects what you're saying before and be interesting to see in America, if similar rally would attract a really left um, audience. Exactly. Yeah, I know. And I do wonder if sort of in future, um, if, you know, if there will be more of like a left wing presence at things like this, like people say that, you know, where, when the United States coughs, the rest of the world sneezes. And if we're seeing this sense like the censorious attitude from like, um, the right in the U S if that starts to get reflected here in New Zealand, then, Hey, hopefully we can get a bit, uh, <laughs> could get a bit, get a bit more variety at our events and, I think would be the better for it. 
But mm. moving on to onto other things, uh, I said we're going for twenty three minutes now, which I think is a pretty good crack. Um, to think about free speech specifically on campus and on university campuses, I was wondering if you guys have any sort of personal thoughts or uh, experiences about. Uh, free speech on campus often you know we hear stories of students and they self-censor you think you know they don't want to they they don't give answers in exams or if you've heard of like you know there's there's student protests as well that can cop a bit of flack i was wondering if you guys have had any experiences or uh personally within philosophy i've found it to be pretty good um there's been a few more contentious issues we've looked at um the ones surrounding, I mean, surrounding free speech itself and surrounding, I think we did, uh, like, sexual ethics have more gone for a factual base and then presented both sides, presented arguments and not arrived at a conclusion. Um, we've looked at some some quite tough arguments against religion. It's just one that stands out to me that I'm sure would have been quite emotionally tough for some people to hear, but they're, they haven't censored that. They've... They've really gone for it and expressed the views that this philosopher's talking about, and I've been really impressed by that. Um, and I myself have written some essays that have gone quite against the status quo and never felt like I was marked down for that or um, censored in any way on that. So I'd say within that, it's been really good. Um, but I think both me and Tommy, and we can probably touch on this a bit later, but have we think we've both seen it around the general student population that is quite a consensus of some level of censorship. Um, and I can recall a few very interesting conversations me and Tommy had in halls last year, um, where I think our views weren't of the typical, uh, the typical view and we were slightly, slightly cast out and censored for that. So yeah, to me, there seems to be a bit of a dichotomy between the two, um, which is interesting. And I think not what we would expect. Mm. I was going to say the exact same thing, really. And that is the dichotomy between your academic freedom of speech, your your freedom to talk about ideas and essays with certain, with most lecturers. I do find I have a couple of law lecturers who seem hell-bent on pushing some ideology, ide- ideologies um, and refusing to talk about, for example, the principles of the Treaty of Waitangi is a common one and refusing discussion against those. But that's really been the minority of cases. By far, I think my experience um, with university staff has been very good. I've been able to talk and debate about ideas with them. But the second even you move from that scenario to a tutorial where you've got other students around you, you instinctively become more careful um, because the, the, the hammer on the head really is where Robbie and I, you and we're white males and according to a lot of people our age, therefore we start from a privileged position mm. um, and we do not have the same validity to talk about certain issues than others. And that in itself is, I feel like a highly censorious idea but it's nevertheless an idea that's worth exploring and talked about because I can see a lot of merit behind it. But it's just the way it's in theory. You look about intersectionality and it works in the same way as communism works in theory. But in practice, <laughs> we're seeing it on um, student campuses and it's hard to it's so hard and it's almost impossible to quantify the level of 
advantage each individual has had through their upbringing and who they are. And then to go around with a broad hammer of saying straight white male, knock, knock, knock down, trans black woman, knock, 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 knock up. Yeah. You, um, to try and create this sort of equality of like forced equality of playing field. Um, it's just, it's a, it's an interesting concept and I wouldn't mind. I'd, I love talking about it with people who support it when they're, want to explain it but i'm not, there are a lot of people who kind of follow it blindly and i feel like I that's the big problem it's quite a postmodern sort of theory that kind of level of privilege like it stems from that but i think there's also a certain level of confusion in that one of the key parts of postmodernism is that there no meta narrative can be compared with others and no meta narrative can be said to be more correct which is to me one of the biggest supporters of free speech Right, you can't simply rule someone out for having an opinion different to yours, and yet they seem to forget that when it's an opinion, when it's a different... meta narrative against the meta narrative, yeah, meta narratives, exactly. <laughs> they adopt their own meta narrative against <laughs> other meta narratives, um, essentially commit the flaw that they're really trying to go against. Uh, it's quite confusing to put in words, but I think this is my punishment for not taking philosophy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it's really interesting, yeah, the whole idea of, um, yeah, I, I de- like identity as validity for certain ideas and stuff, because it's like, these are the kids. You're right, it is a tough one, because I feel like there is merit to the idea, there's a little bit of merit to the idea mm. that lived experience can contribute to the weight that someone's opinion might have. You know, like, um, like, like we have a very diverse team at the free speech union and that's really really useful because it means people can speak to their can speak to their experience when sort of an area when like an issue around free speech crops up um it's like how yeah if i like i would probably trust someone who i'm trying to think of an example can um, i give an example please please um like i two years ago oh, i love doing this i two years ago <laughs> had a um i went through chemotherapy for testicular cancer and it's okay let's ignore the sob story it was fine but the experience of having that i would take it i, would, I find it hard to take the opinion of someone who's never gone through that to describe what it's exactly like mm. and i i feel like my doctor was very respectful of that but then it's still his job to tell me what it will be like and i it just it de- i don't know it kind of depends on the the context I feel it's hard to claim that you've, it's hard to claim you know what it's like to live through it because you'll never be able to judge someone else's pain, their joys, their emotion. But then you can still apply your rationality to the situation and try and reason your way through it. Mm. And I don't think that should be prohibited in any way. Yeah, yeah. That's a fantastic example. Holy cow. Um, That's why you think about like, you know, disability rights advocates Mm. and stuff. They come from disabled communities. It's, but absolutely though, it's like when it's sort of, that becomes, because you can think about that's like in the positive sense of sort of, it adds to validity, but then it's, mm-hmm. you, there feels like an issue of where people, someone is perceived to not have that experience. So they can't speak on it. I think we had a podcast recently talking about, and one of our podcasts recently talking about the idea of no uterus, no opinion, um, mm. which to not get into that debate too much, I think it's like, it's kind of silly. Um, sort of when it's like, yes, a, like a woman would definitely have, I guess you could say more at stake with the whole debate, but 
when it's an ethical issue, it's not, especially if it's an ethical issue and stuff, it's not something that would be limited. Yeah. It's like, cause like these, these issues, like issues tend to what they can more pointed for some groups of people. Like they tend to be, everyone's affected by them. We live in a, we live in a society. Um, <laughs> Another thing is think about books. The best books you read are not narratives of one perspective. They about, they, Authors from their empathy are able to create characters who live lives that they've never lived. And if we take the idea of lived experience to the extreme, you would not be able to have authors write fictional books. Also on this, the, you saying that they have more at stake, I think, yes, that is a lot of the case a pro for them because they've really experienced it. But I think it can also be a negative in that they have a more of an emotional connection and maybe prevents their irrational kind of objective view on it. And I think that's spicy. That's a spicy take. I like that. That is a spicy view. <laughs> Both those views are equally important and one will lack something and another will lack another, but to cast out one, I think is foolish. Mm, yeah. That's good. I'm really glad you read, like you brought that up. <laughs> I hadn't thought of that myself, but that's quite funny. But of course it does all point to the idea of like, well, so what's the solution then? It's like laissez-faire, let them speak. Um, I think that's a, yeah. I mean, oh, that's not a direct translation. I think I don't speak French, unfortunately. <laughs> but like the idea of just like a hands-off approach to it, let people speak their mind. But it's really interesting thinking about uh, this, these ideas of like these very philosophical ideas of you know lived experience and how. Um, so if it seems younger people uh, give weight and merit to people's ideas and shut them down. Like, do you guys think much about why it might feel that uh, young? Cause I think you mentioned as well that um, sort of your, your fellow students as well had these censorious attitudes. And um, yeah, so I was wondering like, why do you, th- do you have any thoughts on why that might be? I haven't thought this through, but I'll just speak <laughs> my mind. Um, I think it's a trend and, I think first of all, the, these ideas started like philosoph- They started in the philosophy departments in like the fifties, and then they've slowly spread into other departments. And then by the eighties, they're kind of becoming mainstream in all the social sciences. And then we get people who are now in their thirties and forties who bought into them, and they're having kids who have grown up with these ideas. It kind of permeates through the whole system. But I also think for a lot of people, especially a lot of guys who buy into it. Now, this is going to be very controversial, but they see that a lot of girls um, think that way and they just want to, you know, be on the good side. So they'll be, they'll just bow down, kowtow to <laughs> that's it. That's so funny. Yep. Um, that's that's a very controversial take. I don't think that's the reason for everyone, but I think that that's, that is an aspect for perhaps for some people. Um, I would disagree with that. Um, you disagree? I've oh, always that's good. Thought, yeah, it's good that we have some disagreement. Yeah. Um, I've always thought that it really comes from genuine good intention on the most part. Oh, no, I say the all part. Um, there's, yeah, as Tommy said, out of the kind of philosophical aspect, there's a there's a general kind of principle that it's wrong to harm people now. And I think that's mm. accepted and we should do what we can to not harm people. And I think that lends towards more pro-censorship. Um, and I think the problem is just a lack of kind of two-step thinking. There's kind of an instant, right, I, it's wrong to cause harm, therefore... I shouldn't say anything harmful, but they don't really think about the harm that could be caused by not allowing others to say things. Um, so it's almost like good intentions, but without thinking about the big picture about what their actions might be causing. Mm. 
I, that's really, yeah, I think it's a really interesting thought. Um, it's like, you know, the, the classic idea of the road to hell is paved with good intentions. And I think it's really, yeah, I think it's really good that you bring that up too, because it's like often, because the opponents of free speech, they're not cartoon villains. They're not, you know, out to get them. They're uh, typically, they're not, you know, it's not necessarily this hellish intent on just shutting down any and all opposition to themselves. It is often, well, it can on occasion be from a genuinely good place of these people think they're trying to stop harm. But of course, there is this two-step idea of there is the harm in its censorship itself, and it can be difficult to see that in the short term. Like if someone says something racist, it's like it's kind of a that can be harmful. Not all not all speech is good speech. It's just that I think you could say that the medicine is worse than I think. Yeah, like the like the medicine can be worse. Mm-hmm. And my sort of my my sort of thought, my personal thoughts on why I think that like a longer the a lot of the younger generations um tend to not value free speech so much is like they've kind they've grown up in a I think a period you can almost call it. And I'm a student of history, like the post-communism period, where that great questions of like censorship and authoritarianism haven't quite beat around. A lot of because a lot of people we work with, they're older leftists. You know, I think you mentioned the Chris Trotters and stuff. These people, uh, and, and Dane as well. These people grew up and they lived uh, censorship as left-wing people from right-wing governments. Think you know your Robert Muldoon's and the like. Yeah, but that's just not the case anymore. Since sort of you know the fall of communism, there hasn't quite been that. Um, not not to call that the focal point, but there hasn't been that same pressure to sort of keep your thumb on the lefties, to keep your like you know this red scare sort of thinking. And so you have this whole generation of people that have grown up, and they don't really know what it's it's like. They don't have that same sort of concept of having their idea suppressed. They're in charge. Also, they, like their hands are on the wheel of culture. You can see it through, like it's like so many of these debates. Like they won. Like uh, I think gay marriage, in my opinion, was um, a bit of a turning point. Which, for the record, I completely support. But it's just you can't be a viable politician now and not support that. Um, and so, if euthanasia pushed through drug uh, drug reform and stuff, while that referendum failed it was, it was very much this attitude of like this is going to happen you have to be on the right side of history here and yeah it's just this it feels like sort of just there's this mar- like it feels like there's this tide of just sort of these progressive ideas and it hasn't faced a heck of a lot of resistance and to yeah and so it's gonna be like one day like if there if there isn't this culture this broad culture of then accepting other ideas if like the, the the conservative sort of wave like comes back up if like i don't know if there's like you have another generation of like the red scare or something and then i fear that if you don't have that wide cultural base it's just you're going to go to pot it's going to go nuts um like you think of the states and stuff how mm. just you know people talk about like oh like all the the right was screaming about yeah like cancel culture and all that and now they're more than happy to cancel and to crack down on dissenting speech and it's quite scary then that also i think we've forgotten or at least take for granted the the danger of power and that we live in a very have free world at the moment but enforcing power and enforcing kind of authoritarian power censorship is such a huge part of that and it's in a way to try and fight against power to find um fight against privilege and 
increase the power of minorities were encouraging censorship, which is the key tool in creating complete power. Mm, exactly. And that, the danger exactly. of that has kind of been forgotten. Yeah. So I was wondering if you guys didn't have, I, I sort of touched on it a bit. Do you guys have any other thoughts on why like sort of free speech is still really important for students today? I mean, I would say free speech is important for anyone. And that is just especially apparent in students who are entering their careers, developing their opinions. And in doing that, it's more important than ever that we hear a wide range of opinions. Um, it's also a time when you're kind of pushing past your family opinions and developing your own. And it's vital that you hear some things really different to what you've always grown up hearing. Um, so just having that free speech around university and being exposed to different opinions and using that to develop your own, I think it's just more important than ever. For the same reasons, it's important as always. You can say that. I mean, students as well, they tend to be quite opinionated too. You think sort of student magazines, um, who in fact, like I think student <laughs> magazines often have had to take quite a bit of flack. I think I recall as well um, from our, finally get to bring it up, our university report uh, that the free speech union put out there were times like some of the times when speech was restricted on campus often revolved around the student magazines i think critic quintessential example yeah. of the spiciest of the spicy uh sort of magazines whether it's the covers <laughs> or the opinions and they have copped a bit of flack from the university as well um not liking what they say <laughs> In Wellington, for me as well, sort of, you know, a bit of a political hub, I think of my friends who are of more radical, let's say, your radical uh, opinions about government and um, society, sort of, yeah, and those sort of political ideals who 40 years ago, maybe, or maybe a bit longer, maybe 60 years ago, their opinions would might not have been particularly well liked um, and well received. And so, like, just, yeah, students have opinions, they want to express them. Uh, the spicier, the better in some ways, and <laughs> at least more fun. We're, we're, the, we're the main unit of people that challenges the societal status quo, and we always have been. It's The first thing you see when you look at China, Tiananmen Square or in Hong Kong, it's student activists were arrested. Student activists, we need to be the unit in society that's a force for change. Definitely. And censorship. And censorship just puts a big halt on any of that and we we aren't we don't have the potential to improve the world that we would have otherwise definitely i mean like i'm yeah i'm glad you sort of like you bring up the idea of students often being agents for change when you hear about these revolutions like when you hear about revolutions or great societal moments it's often the young people at the fore of that um tm and square a really big example not just unfortunately not just of student engagement but also unfortunately of heavy heavy repression um but there is also like you know in the new zealand context as well what were like like the great debates of the 20th century um actually i think funnily enough they sent to me in the 80s as well like the nuclear free nuclear free new zealand uh it, who's the people pro who are the people that protest for it it's the students uh david longy's famous uh oxford debate he was debating with students um, also, like the the Springbok tour as well, the, who were the people they were protesting? It was students. Uh, it was young people, so that's why I think. Yeah, I've got I've got family members who are older than like you know well older than me now, and they were like when they were in their university days, they'll tell me stories about how they uh, were at the protests and uh, yeah, got up got up and close with a bit of uh, riots and police violence around that. But 
yeah, it's the students are agents of change, I think is what I'm trying to say here. And so mm. it's like, I think it's really, really important then that they can make their voice heard. Yeah. And we just seem to have got a little bit confused. I hope so. I hope it's getting better. Have you guys read the university ranking report? Yes. I, I found some of the stuff briefly <laughs> scary in terms of uh, looking at the Auckland University of Technology. I noticed amongst the policies, which I thought was interesting, was the gender transitioning policy or whatever it's called, the requirements around that. And it, as it, as it highlighted in the report, that there's kind of a request in inverted quotation marks that you compliance compliance with university guidelines is expected in normal circumstances and deviation should only be in exceptional circumstances. Um, so it kind of implies that there shouldn't be discussions around gender transitioning among staff. And I guess that I felt was a bit, a bit of an example of censorship. Um, but the practices we, I just went to the free speech union event. It was hosted by the uni in a university lecture theater. And I thought there was nothing, there's nothing really been in practice done by the uni that's prevented many people i think from speaking freely yeah um i think strongly to their like to their credit in the making of the report one of the big things uh that was looked at was whether they had allowed controversial events to go uh to happen to occur and it was, it was almost a bit of a litmus test on where they stood and very much to otago university's credits as they let credit as they let an anti-vaccine documentary be aired uh back in 2017 so i, I guess you know when they have a magazine like critic universe uh, the university of otago is no stranger to spicy views but yeah did you uh, you would have read then as well about the then uh, speaking of critic the run-ins of um otago university with their student magazine in fact small aside i guess have you guys got many thoughts on critic as a magazine as a student mag and some of the spicy stuff that they that they put out i, I love reading it the artwork, there's the art, some of the artwork is indeed very <laughs> spicy. The stories are very spicy. I find it's very ideolo ideologically one-sided. It's very new left. I struggle sometimes with some of the opinions, like just in my personal capacity. Th that's why I read it, and I, I think they do a good job. I would agree. I think, um, yeah, I think it is definitely more kind of new left inclined. I think it's got some, I was going to say it's got some good policies, in my opinion, on drugs and kind of, yeah, drugs and sexual ethics. But again, that's more because I agree with them rather than them expressing the other side. So yeah, I might retract yeah, I'm not that. sure about the editorial <laughs> process they go through. I really do wonder if they get letters because yeah. the letters at the front, especially recently, I felt that the letters to the editor and a lot of the editorials have been specifically looking at that editorial that was kind of framing the free speech unions event in a bad light. It's kind of, they've had a tolerance for their own perspective, but they've been quite sharply against any other perspectives. But then again, that is their right as a magazine to have an editorial starts it. Um, I just wonder as a student magazine, whether it could be a bit more balanced but then again, the student population is <laughs> more likely to be liberal and left-wing. So I, 
I, I have no problem. Yeah, do you feel like they get like I'm, I think it does reflect the student population. Have you guys heard of any sort of I guess of the any inside scoops on so the on critics' relationship with the university? Do you think that there have been times when the university's been quite lenient with them? The only two examples I know of was in two thousand and six one of the copies was banned by the chief censor. And then I think it's quite common knowledge that in twenty twenty the union critic kind mm. of split ways. But in reality, I have not seen, I wasn't at the uni in 2020, so I don't know what it looked like beforehand, but every week the critics distributed in boxes in and around the university, students are free to pick it up. I, I don't really see in practice that bigger, I've never seen the critics censored in any way. That's good. That's really good. Um, yeah. My goodness though, to hear 2006, it got censored by the census office that's not even like the university that's the government do you remember what the what the um what was over like what was on the cover um i'm fairly sure that it was a story about a serial drug rapist and i think we looked at this am i right in saying robbie we looked at this in one of the ethics classes we had together last year don't recall but i wouldn't say that means not (laughs) it was kind of people who read it who had been potentially drug break being a traumatic thing to read and that's the reasoning why the chief censor decided to censor it but then the student magazine kind of reasoned that they had to make it shocking to get the message of how really common this was and still is um and to get that message Mm, out that's yeah that's really interesting the idea of like wonderful tangent then um the idea of sort of offense and sort of shock value as of as an artistic thing because people often say um it's like oh yeah something can be offensive but like we should only censor it if it's intended to offend it's like well what about art what about a story about a serial drug rapist who as a shock value is intended to offend it is intended to get people talking in that way um so yeah, I, 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 was, I hadn't heard of that story before. So to hear that, like, went all the way to the census office is mm. quite something. I was wondering before we close if you have any other thoughts, any burning sort of issues or points to raise. No pressure. <laughs> I just wanted to say thank you, guys. It's been it's been fun talking about this, and I've really enjoyed it. So thanks, Adam, and thanks, Robbie. Yes, I've also greatly enjoyed, and it has really stimulated me and got me thinking a lot more. So thank you so much, guys. Really appreciate it. Um, Thomas, again, thank you for your contributions uh, so far, being having, you know, coming to our event and then uh, doing a opinion piece for us. Uh, Robbie, thank you very much for coming along as well, providing a bit of, uh, how, do, how do I put it, diversity in the sense of the courses we take. Uh, so we're not just law students. Appreciate it very much. <laughs> Cheers, guys. <laughs> Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to the Free Speech Union podcast. If you would like to learn more about us or find out how you can get involved or support, you can head on over to fsu.nz or check us out on Facebook and Twitter. Kakitiano.